Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. How delighted I am to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today I thought this would be an interesting section of the shop to show you. Every once in a while, we curate a portion of the shop, much like any museum, to showcase a particular era, a particular trope or a particular style of horror, fantasy, and science fiction. In this section of the shop, we have made a special display honoring the two warring tropes of fantasy and science fiction, that trope of science versus sorcery. Now you'll find many items representing both sides of science and sorcery, and many representations of the various film and TV series that pitted these two against one another. But every so often, something comes along, whether it be film, TV, or book, that combines the two of science and sorcery, represented in our display with this particular sword of power. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the new Netflix season, Masters of the Universe Revolution. So Masters of the Universe Revolution is a second season, if you will. I mean, I guess you could technically consider it a third season. I know if you look on places like Wikipedia, they actually consider this the third season. It is the next season in the Masters of the Universe Netflix line. Of course, we had Revelation, which they did in two parts. Back in 2021, they did the first part in July, and then they did part two in November. And of course, each part was five episodes. We have this Technically, second season, Masters of the Universe Revolution, only a five-episode season. So already off the bat, they really pared down the story for this second season. And I think that is in result of some of the criticisms of Masters of the Universe Revelation. When I heard that they were going to do this Masters of the Universe Revelation in 2021... I was super excited. Kevin Smith is behind it as a producer and a creator, and I know what a big fan he is of comics. So I thought, okay, he's going to do this right. And, you know, all the people at Mattel, Kevin Smith, they're all talking about how this is a spiritual continuation or a spiritual sequel to the 1983 He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon that a lot of us grew up watching. Uh, myself included. So I was super stoked about this. Now the series came out in 2021 and that excitement was soon dashed because as much as I did like, I mean, they did a lot of fan servicey things like every character in the Masters of the Universe universe, everything that was on the toy shelves, every toy that was in the cartoon was represented. Everybody got a scene. I was like, whoa, 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 like hold back. You don't have to show them all at once in one season. You can stretch this out and flesh out these 
these characters and give them interesting storylines over many seasons. I, I didn't think you had to like do a new character in every scene. So in one regard, I liked that we got to see all these characters, all these toys that I played with as a kid. But then it felt like they're just throwing these in there just to say, hey, remember this guy? Okay, let's go on. Okay, remember this guy? Okay, let's move on. Okay, remember this guy? Okay, let's move on. And it felt very unsatisfying. Speaking of unsatisfying, the story of Revelation was terribly unsatisfying. They killed off He-Man right away. Now, you knew he was going to come back. But, you know, this is Masters of the Universe. And I know the original cartoon was He-Man and Masters of the Universe. And this is just Masters of the Universe. And I know the excuse was, well, it's not He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It's Masters of the Universe. So, you know, you don't have to have He-Man in it. Well, yeah, you, you really do. You have to have He-Man in it. Because as a kid who grew up in the 80s and loved the cartoon and had... I didn't have all the toys because we weren't uh, terribly well off financially, but I had uh, more toys than my parents probably should have bought for me. But, you know, I had a lot of the toys. And even if it is just Masters of the Universe, He-Man is the guy I want to see. Not that I don't want to see the other characters, but he's, you know, he's the headliner. He's the main event. He's the one that you want to see. And they took He-Man out of it and made it the Mighty Tila Power Half Hour show. And it's just, I, much as I like the Tila character, she wasn't terribly likable in a lot of scenes. I didn't care for Sarah Michelle Gellar voicing Tila. And it felt very much like Kevin Smith and the writers of that uh, Masters of the Universe revelation were trying to modernize this. And it felt very much, I mean, I'm not the only one that said this. I know a lot of people have said this. It really felt like they were queer baiting with the Tila and the Andra character. Uh, the Andrew character, a character made up for this story. And as much as I was okay with it, because it was a, you know, a, a person of color, add some representation into He-Man that not necessarily known for its representation. I, I thought I'm fine with that. But then, you know, they just kind of started playing this, are they, aren't they in a relationship? And they still even played that with Tila and Prince Adam and He-Man. Uh, it just really was confusing and not done very well. And to me, it you know it wasn't the He-Man we grew up with. When we grew up with He-Man in the cartoon, there was always this kind of sexual tension, this unspoken sexual tension, because it was for kids. But it kind of is: Does Tila like He-Man? Does He-Man like Tila? Are they ever gonna you know? kiss or you know whatever kids are expecting uh, from that sort of uh, relationship baiting in a cartoon but it was always he Tila and He-Man and I, I think I know where Kevin Smith and the writers of Revelation were going they were trying to subvert expectations they were trying to modernize this because you know it's 2021 and we're all hip and and we're down with breaking the social taboos uh, it, it just felt forced and ridiculous and nonsensical kind of a slap in the face to the characters that we grew up with and being a 10 episode season uh, whether you want to call it two separate seasons or one season part one uh, another you know part two it was a meandering story that just felt very boring especially without even though his name's not in the title he is like i said the guy you're coming for 
without He-Man for most of it, at least in the main storyline. It was all about Tila, and a lot of people backlashed over this Masters of the Universe revelation, and rightfully so. It really felt, you know, as being a spiritual sequel to the original He-Man animated series, it, it did it in some regards, and then it flew in the face of that in other regards as far as storytelling. Yeah, it had all the characters. Yeah, it had all of the, oh, you remember this you know, flying machine, and do you remember that guy? It had all that, but the story really lacked. So I know a lot of people were not looking forward to Masters of the Universe Revolution, I, for one, was. I'm always willing to give a second chance, especially I'm always willing to give something I don't like a second chance in a sequel or reboot to see if they made up for the mistakes that they may or may not have made with the original. And I wasn't sure about this because I tried not to, to pay too much attention to all the sniping because you had a lot of reviewers, you had a lot of commentators sniping about how much they hated this. You had the people from Mattel, you had Kevin Smith sniping back, you had the the people that really love Kevin Smith and will defend anything he does uh, to the death, you know, sniping back at some of the commentators. You just had this big war and i'm like i I don't care about any of this shit i also try not to watch too many of the trailers leading up to revolution because i I wanted to go in without any preconceived notions i already knew that i i didn't really love revelation but i was going to give it every fair shake in seeing if i liked revolution and before we get into spoilers and we will get into some spoilers here shortly i I have to say, I really liked Revolution a lot better than Revelation. To me, it felt like they took notes and they tried to correct some of the mistakes they made in the fans' eyes. They corrected the relationship between He-Man and Tila. Almost overcorrected that to a degree. We'll we'll talk about that uh, in the in the spoiler section. But they they corrected that. They corrected the lack of He-Man from the first one. You know, you start out, you get He-Man right away. They did some really cool things story wise with some of the more modern takes on He-Man and the He-Man story as it pertains to Skeletor and Skeletor's origins. I thought some of that was really cool. And the fact that they involved that, uh, the involvement of Hordak and the Horde, I thought was was pretty cool. Now, like I said, this is a five-episode season. So it is very condensed and very short. And it is very action-packed because you had to cram a lot of things into that. But here's a case where I almost wish they added like one or two more episodes because I think there were some story arcs that got a little truncated because they didn't have enough time to really flesh out the reasoning why this is happening or that's happening. And I think they needed just a little more time. Not 10 episodes, but if they made this like six or seven episodes, I think that would have helped the the story and give them time to make things make a little more sense instead of just jumping from A to C you get that B point where you can explain a little more the motivation behind some of these decisions and actions that I think it needed from a storytelling standpoint. But 
Like the first one, the animation is stunning and spectacular. Powerhouse doing the animation on this. uh, Just a a beautiful and vibrant, stunning-looking piece of animation that uh, that was, I think, one of the things I loved most about Revelation is the fact that the animation was so good. The voice acting, for the most part, was pretty good. And they continue that. The animation is stunning in Revolution. The voice acting is really good. I really like Chris Wood as Prince Adam and He-Man. Mark Hamill as Skeletor it does a wonderful job. Liam Cunningham as Duncan. I really love that. I-, I love the fact that they changed... Tila's voice. They went from Sarah Michelle Gellar to Melissa Benoist. Of course, she played Supergirl in the Supergirl series here uh, not too long ago. So I think she does a better job than Sarah Michelle Gellar. There are a couple scenes where I'm like, she didn't quite nail it. But for the most part, I really enjoyed her voice for Tila as opposed to Sarah Michelle Gellar. Lena Headey is Evil Lynn is just stunning. Dietrich Bader is King Randor. I tell you what, he is an underrated voice actor. Uh, from a like a physical acting standpoint, he does a lot of comedy and he can pull that off. But from his voice acting, you really get a bit of range with his portrayal of King Randor in this. I really like that. Uh, another voice I didn't like from Revelation was Alicia Silverstone as Queen Marlena. I, not that I don't like Alicia Silverstone, but she just has a particular tone to her voice that sounds a lot younger I and mean, it just every time I hear her voice I'm thinking clueless I never watched it but I've seen the trailers and the commercials but I, I didn't care for her as Queen Marlena they switched up her voice and got Gates McFadden to play Queen Marlena of course Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation and and several Star Trek movies and TV series a wonderful actress I thought she really provided a great voice for Queen Marlene. It felt queenly. It felt motherly. It felt like an older aging queen who is uh, not utilized near enough in this. And I'll talk about where they could have gone to make this uh, utilize Gates McFadden and that Marlena character a little more, but they didn't do that. I mean, and of course, there's several other actors I, I really enjoyed. Tony Todd is Scareglow. Uh, he just adds such a, a creepiness to that already creepy character is wonderful. Keith David, uh, man, that guy has got such a fantastic voice. Whether it is a live action or or voice work like this, just adds a, a level of gravitas to any any character. But a, a villain like Hordak, you really need that. I, again, another character underutilized in this, I think. And I'm hoping we'll see more in another season. But uh, like I said, a ton of great voice acting. Uh, One of the really impeccable standouts of this series on top of the animation that, that makes this worth watching. Whether you hated the first season or not, there is a lot to like about this series. And there's even more to like in this next season, this revolution season. So if you didn't like... Masters of the Universe Revelation. I I get it. I understand. I liked it just enough to give another season a chance. And and I'm glad I did because they, well, this Revolution season is not perfect. And we'll get into why I feel that way in the spoiler section. It is still good. It is still leaps and bounds better than Revelation. And really put this series at least trying to get it back on track. And this season was good enough to where I am actually kind of excited about another season to see where they go with this. Again, not a perfect season, but still leaps and bounds better than the the season before, Revelation. So 
Go check it out. Masters of the Universe Revolution. It's on Netflix now. Only five episodes. They're barely a half hour each. I mean, you could power through this in an evening. Uh, so go check it out. Then come back and hear my thoughts on this latest season. And if you have watched it or you don't care one way or the other, you just want to hear what all the fuss is about. So we're going to continue on with some spoiler territory. So this season can really be boiled down into essentially two storylines. You have this, of course, in Revelation, Evelyn, she destroys Praternia, the heaven of this world, this universe. And you have Tila trying to bring back Praternia uh, because the heroes have no place to go. They have no heaven to go to. Their spirits are going to wander the earth until, or wander Eternia until they just kind of disappear. And she wants to recreate heaven because of the death of King Randor, which we'll, we'll get into here in a second. Uh, so you really have that storyline and everything that she has to do to make this happen, to bring back Preternia as the new sorceress. She has power, but not enough power. And she has to gather all the power of these power staffs, of course, the the bird power that she has as the new sorceress, uh, the caw power the with the snake staff, which we'll get into the tie-ins to where that comes from, and then, of course, the Havoc staff, which is the staff that Skeletor has with the, the ram's head on it. She has to gather all these powers to be powerful enough to to recreate Preternia. So you have that storyline. I, I liked it. It was it was interesting enough. It gave Tila some agency. It gave her something to do. So you still could have a cool story that focused on primarily on Tila, which you had in Revelation. It's I think the problem was it was just all Tila and no He-Man. Whereas this Tila's still a strong character, unless she's around He-Man and fawning over him like a little too much. <laughs> I'll follow you anywhere, my champion. That felt like, okay, dial it back just a little bit. I like the idea of these two having this sexual tension sort of relationship, but then it just got a little a little too, I don't know. It's like they overdid it on purpose. Okay, you want them to be in a relationship? We'll give you a relationship and just kind of make her all doe-eyed and, like I said, fawning over He-Man. You didn't need to go that far. I do like strong and sassy Tila and a strong female character, but like I said, in that first one, Revelations, felt like they put her as the more important character than He-Man. But I thought this, you know, recreating Preternia gave her a really interesting storyline and something to do that, that kept her as a strong female uh, lead in this series. Uh, and then you have Adam slash He-Man that kind of has a, a two-part storyline. Of course, he's dealing with the death of his father uh, at the beginning of the uh, first episode, which I have to say was was pretty emotional. I, I didn't think I was going to get the feels as much as I did with that scene because uh, it, you know, it, it played off of death. And I, I don't know, I, I suppose I've got a soft spot in my heart for losing people and the idea of King Randor knowing he was going to die, keeping it from his son and, and saying goodbye to uh, Queen Marlena and Prince Adam was just very emotional. And then, of 
of course, that charge that he gives to Adam about becoming king was, uh, you know, it had some weight to it. So, and Dietrich Bader, a really good job with this death scene from a vocal performance standpoint. And and Bear McCreary, uh, I don't know if I could give him enough credit for what he does from a score standpoint to really drive home some of these emotional scenes and some of these action scenes. Uh, that scene I kind of referenced, uh, I kind of referenced earlier uh, when Tila, and we'll talk about it a little more coming up, but when Tila is working to try and gain the power from these three staffs and, and recreate Preternia and He-Man comes to help her. And there's that scene where like he has her in his arms and just the musical swell was, it just gave me chills. It wasn't so much the scene, but the, the music really. And so Bear McCreary got to give him props right off the bat. But this scene with, uh, with King Randor dying was, was a pretty emotional scene, but this charge that uh, a dying King Randor gives his son who, who would be King is a huge, huge plot point in in the Adam slash He-Man storyline. And this notion that he has to choose between sword and scepter. He can't be king and champion at the same time. And to me, it just didn't make any sense because Adam's mother at the very end talked about how uh, his father wasn't a traditional person and was okay with doing things the way they hadn't always been done. Yet he's wanting Adam to adhere to what he believes should be that you can't be champion and king. And it just, I don't know, it just felt like uh, they're talking about two different people here. So you have this story arc where Adam, and it's not even really an arc, it is just really a kind of a MacGuffin to get the Keldor character on the throne. And I think that's where I, I probably one of the problems I had, I hated that Randor poses this problem to Adam that he can't be king and champion at the same time. And Adam's like, oh no, I guess I can't. And I've got to abdicate power to uh, this uncle, long lost uncle that appears in Keldor. I would have liked to have seen it done in a different way where Randor is encouraging, you know, he tells Adam that he has to, he has to be king and champion. And I would have rather seen Adam struggling with that, trying to be king and champion at the same time and having doubt in himself, giving the throne up that way. That's where I think you would have needed maybe one or two more episodes to kind of flesh that out. Uh, I would like to seen Adam try and fail to be king and champion and then, oh, okay, well, let me give this to my long lost uncle that appears. And you could have the Keldor character kind of manipulating him and, and planting the seed of doubt in him. But that's where this, you know, five episode season didn't leave you any time to do that. So they really kind of had to rush that story. And then at the end, I would like to have seen Adam realize that he could be king and champion but still decides to just be champion and find a better person to to take the throne than him. I think that would have been more interesting to me. And I'll talk about who I think should have been on the throne when we talk about the ending here in a little bit. But you have the Adam come to terms with the sword and the scepter thing, and you also have Adam and He-Man uh, taking on the Horde and Hordak uh, making his 
big time debut in this animated series. And that was another thing that I, I, I liked, but I didn't like. I love the use of Hordak in this series. I think he's a, a very terrifying looking villain. Uh, he, you know, is kind of like Skeletor amped up a little bit. I, I like how even in the the series, the animated series, and She-Ra, and of course, you know, some of the comic books that have came out. You know, Hordak is a more technology-driven bad guy as opposed to sorcery like Skeletor. So it really defines the difference between these two bad guys, uh, skull-faced bad guys. And I think it adds a neat wrinkle to it. Sorcery versus science, that sort of thing. I just wasn't sure how I... I don't know as if I cared about the whole Motherboard story arc where it's almost like this cult and Triclops. You know, we saw him in the, the first season uh, in Revelation as the uh, one of the heads of this cult to Motherboard and wearing that silly, silly hat. And I don't know. I, I just... I didn't care about the turning all these bad guys into almost cyborg creations. They were uh, part whatever monster they were, but then they had cybernetic bits and pieces. And they did that. The Skeletor and the staff, Havoc staff, uh, became part of his arm. I just don't know if I liked that. I hated the the idea of these nanobugs or nanobots that, that infect people and turn them into mindless zombies. It feels like I've seen a lot of this before in various iterations in various sci-fi or fantasy movies and TV series. I didn't like the fact that He-Man had to take the power sword and get it a technological update. So now it's not just a power sword. It's got technology and it's science and sorcery all at once and a very obvious symbolism for, for what they're trying to do with a series that already combined science and sorcery. You didn't need to go to the next level with that. Uh, He-Man has always been about science and sorcery uh, working in orchestration with all of these different trap jaw and and skeletor and and things like that. I mean there were there were a lot of combinations of science and sorcery in this this cartoon and this story in this universe already you didn't need to double down on it as much as they did and acting like it wasn't a thing when it was most definitely already a thing but i think there was a reason for it and we'll, we'll get to that coming up i think the only thing i liked about the motherboard storyline is the fact that uh meg foster did the voice for motherboard and an actress that i've always loved i remember uh, the first time i really took notice of meg foster like pbs or somebody did a version of the Scarlet Letter, almost like a made-for-TV miniseries. Uh, yeah, I want to say it was like PBS or something like that. And or at least PBS was playing it. And Meg Foster played the Hester Prynne character. And I remember watching that in school. Our teacher made us watch that. And I remember getting a huge crush on Meg Foster. So like anytime something had Meg Foster in it, I wanted to at least check it out because I had this huge crush on her. And uh, yeah, it's, it probably still remains on some level to this day. So when I heard she was doing the voice of Motherboard, I was like all excited. Oh, Meg Foster's in that. Cool. Another cool cameo 
cameo that I really didn't like how they used it was the Gwildor character from the 1987 Masters of the Universe movie with Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella, also Meg Foster. She played Evil Lynn in that, so that was kind of cool uh, having that little bit of a tie. Uh, Billy Barty did Gwildor in that, and essentially the Gwildor character came about because they just didn't know how to do the Orko character. Uh, to, to have a a little guy flying around, floating around. It probably wouldn't have looked good giving the the filmmaking technology and process in 1987. Uh, CG wasn't as big a thing as it is now. Uh, I, I'm, that's not to say that it would look any better today because we've seen some really shitty CG over the years. But they just didn't have the technology, I think, to do orco so like oh well then how are we gonna do this so they made the guildor character and they brought him back for this season he's the one that turns he-man's power sword into this technological device that's supposed to you know the spread the, it's supposed to amplify the power of the power sword to get rid of this nanobot technology virus that has spread throughout Eternia. I didn't like that. I didn't like them tinkering with the power sword and making it into like this piece of machinery uh, because that ties into another He-Man series, which again, we'll get into shortly. But I did like the involvement of the Gwildor character because you had Man-at-Arms and Orko going to him and Man-at-Arms making the reference about the adventure they had where they traveled across the universe, referencing the 1987 Masters of the Universe movie. So I was like, ah, that's kind of cool that that movie exists in this universe. And it's essentially Mattel just trying to get all of their properties all in the same universe at the same time. But uh, but I did like the involvement of Gwildor. I'm not sure how I felt about William Shatner. I think William Shatner did an okay job with the Keldor character. I liked the story. I liked them bringing the Keldor character into this story though because it wasn't initially how Skeletor's origin is essentially Skeletor for the longest time was considered to be like some demon from another dimension that was brought to Eternia and then it was kind of later retconned through I want to say some of the comics that Skeletor is actually Keldor, the alien half-brother to King Randor. And there's a lot of political finagling as to why Randor became king and not Keldor. Keldor being taken under his wing by Hordak. Uh, they go through all of this in this story if you're not familiar with it. So uh, I really enjoyed that. But then you have that realization by Skeletor because Motherboard kind of plays with his mind where he remembers that he used to be Keldor, and now he's Skeletor. And it, like I said, that flashback that shows all of the ways in which Hordak took Skeletor or Keldor under his wing, gave him the Havoc Staff, turned him into Skeletor. And there's even a little nod in there. It goes by quick. Uh, but if you notice it, there is a scene in this flashback where you're almost like in this nursery because there's a crib that's toppled over. You have uh, Randor and Marlena in there. I believe there's a young Prince Adam. And you see Hordak jumping out a window, but he's carrying something. And it is a reference to Adora, uh, Prince Adam's sister, to which there's another nod to that at the end, which we'll talk about when we get there. But that whole flashback scene where you see the 
uh, essentially the origins of Skeletor. I thought that was really cool. And it was really cool, like I said, that they they add this bit of story that came about later in the evolution of the Masters of the Universe story and the, the storytelling. And it's become a fan favorite. Everyone has kind of really grabbed a hold of this Keldor, Randor storyline. And I think it's interesting. It's very Shakespearean how you have King Miro and his wife who who wants Randor, their, their proper son, to be king. And the older, you know, half-brother exiled and comes back. And you've got... He-Man, who's taking on Skeletor all the time. Unbeknownst to him, this is his own uncle that he's in this eternal conflict with over the over the throne of Eternia. Like I said, it's just a very Shakespearean twist to this story that I think makes it that much more interesting. And so I was really glad that they involved that story in this series. That's probably one of the things I'm interested in seeing more from and seeing how the rest of this plays out but like i said there were a lot of nods to the the toys i, I think one of the cool ones is one of the staffs that tila has to master is the cost staff which is a snake and of course when you bought the tila action figure back in the 80s she had that snake armor on and i guess as a kid that you know they all came with like a little comic book that you could read and it probably said it in there but i wasn't into reading i just wanted to play with my he-man figures but i never really knew what the snake armor was about i know on the packaging it said warrior goddess i believe if i'm not mistaken but yeah i didn't know what that was all about and i loved how this gave that a little context because when she has the snake staff the cost staff she has almost not like the snake armor. It's a little it looks a little different. I thought it would have been cooler if it would have been a little more representative of the the actual toy, how the armor looked on that. But but still, it was a great nod to that, and and I really loved that. I loved how we get a scene with He Man with his battle armor, that like almost armor metal vest that he wears and you know when Skeletor punched him and they had also a battle armor Skeletor the chest plate was kind of had a tumbler in it that was spring-loaded if you hit it right it would flip and there'd be a crack in it and if he got punched there in the chest again there'd be two cracks and I thought that was really cool that they they paid homage to that and made reference to that the one reference I didn't really care for at the very end, Tila is trying to bring back Paternia. She's struggling with these three staffs, Havoc, the Kaw staff, the, I can't, I can never remember the name of the bird staff that she has as the new sorceress, but she doesn't have enough power. So Adam jumps up there with her and does his He-Man thing by the power of Skull. She gets the power upgrade that she needs, but they're holding each other and they land in an embrace and a kiss. And it was all very sweet and romantic. But the look of the two characters, I just didn't care for that because that was a direct reference to another He-Man series that came out on Netflix, uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe that was a little more like a CG-looking animation. I know that Masters of the Universe is CG, but that's that kind of CG that's made to look like 2D animation. This was more of a CG show, and everything looked a little more technologically advanced. Everything, you know, He-Man's power sword looked like this piece of machinery, and 
and that's what this was. Even the the He-Man logo is kind of that stylized H and M. That's ex the exact logo from that other He-Man Netflix series. And again, Mattel, why they had two competing He-Man stories on Netflix, I don't know. But the the one had, and from all accounts, Revelation, people like the look of it. They didn't like the story. In the, the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe on Netflix, they didn't care for the animation and the look and all the technology, but they liked the story because that one delved more into the Keldor storyline. But yeah, all of these new versions of He-Man and Tila as the sorceress are all ripped from that He-Man story. Again, Mattel just trying to get all of their... He-Man stories in one basket, essentially. And and I just didn't like it. I don't like the new technology-laden power sword. I think that's kind of lame to me. I didn't like He-Man's new flashy techno suit or Tila's sorceress uh, techno suit. It just looked very, like, futuristic, I guess is, not, is better said than techno. He-Man with his hair longer and it pulled back in a, you know, he's got the top and the sides pulled back in a ponytail. I was expecting him to have a man bun, at which point I probably would have turned the TV off. Because few things I can abide, and one of them is a man bun. So, all right, guys, if any of you guys out there have man buns, God bless you to each his own. But I just, I'm just not, not down with a man bun. Probably out of sheer jealousy because I don't have any hair on top anymore. But once upon a time, I could have rocked a man bun. I chose not to. But I also feel like I was fairly satisfied with how this ended. They got rid of the techno stuff, the nanobot thing. I don't want that carrying over into another season. I hope the new look of He-Man and Tila do not carry over into the next season. I did find it interesting how Adam or He-Man with the, the use of his power sword turned Skeletor back into Keldor. So right now we don't have a Skeletor in this. Uh, he's going to make a comeback somehow. Just not sure how they're going to do that. I'm interested to see how they're going to do that. Skeletor cut off Motherboard's head, so we don't have that anymore, thank God. Even though I loved Meg Foster as that character, Hordak was stabbed by Skeletor and thought dead left for dead and then we get that great scene at the very end they didn't do it as a ps scene or a mid-credit scene but uh, but it almost felt like that where hordak is in this back to tank looking thing healing himself and you see this character you never see her face but it is a female character wearing a hordak uh, type mask a horde mask she takes it off and you only i think you see a little bit of her jaw and just kind of a torso shot you know it's a female and she's talking about how Hordak Prime is going to bring him back and he's going to be better than ever. And it's essentially the Desperate character from, I believe, the, I think that was in the comics. I don't know if that ever made it to like any of the, the filmation She-Ra show or anything like that. But uh, Despera is essentially Hordak kidnaps Adora and brainwashes her and takes her under his wing. And she grows up as a as a member of the Horde. I'm not sure if that's how it exactly goes in the comics, but but for this TV series purpose, that is. And and I imagine the next season we're going to have the revelation that she is Adam's twin sister. And I don't know if they're going to turn her into She-Ra or not, because the fact of the matter is is that Mattel owns the rights to He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. 
but Filmation owns the, which I believe was purchased by DreamWorks. They own the rights to She-Ra, which was a creation of that series. And that's why they could use Hordak. That's why they could use uh, some of the other characters like Leech, Mantena, and Grizzlor. Uh, Stonedar was in it. Those characters were created long before they'd used them with the She-Ra character. So I, I don't know if they're going to strike some deal with Filmation slash DreamWorks to, to use Shira or, or how they're going to play it. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see where that story goes. Now, I've already talked about this earlier a little bit. Some of the things I didn't like about this. Like I said, I, I didn't like the techno stuff. They just went a little too far because, like I said, Masters of the Universe has always been a marriage of science and sorcery. Science and sorcery working against each other and with each other. It, it has already played into that. So the fact that they tried to play it up even more with just going even further into the techno stuff, I just... It was like, okay, yeah, it's interesting, but it didn't do anything for me from a story standpoint. It's like been there, done that. I've already seen that in this series. Now, what they did with the story was interesting enough with the bad guys and, and you know, the good guys and you know, all that. The action played out pretty quick. Like I said, this is only five episodes, so everything kept moving pretty fast. So you didn't have time to dwell on the aspects of this that I didn't like as far as the, the technology and the techno aspect of the Horde and what they're trying to do. So that was a good thing. Uh, another thing I thought was kind of lame was the fact that uh, the whole ending with Adam pretty much doing away with the monarchy and introducing democracy to Eternia. To me, that felt lame. Uh, it, it felt like trying to pass off today's modern sensibilities on a fantasy world that is, yeah, there is technology and science, but there's also sword and sorcery. It, it just felt awkward and it felt like a message that just didn't need to be made you know Eternia everybody seemed to really like the royal family they really seemed to like Randor they really seemed to like Adam and they weren't clamoring for democracy they were quite happy in their monarchy <laughs> and it was just this notion that well democracy is better than a monarchy because voting and people having their own power well for the most part people were pretty dumb a lot of the time, and are swayed one way or the other politically. So you're going to go from everybody being happy in this this monarchy with monarchs that they they really love and that are really good to them to a two party system democracy where both sides start sniping at each other and and start to hate each other until like some sort of civil war breaks out. Yeah. Great move, Kevin. It just seemed kind of forced and silly. And then, of course, the Andra character, which, I, you know, I, I enjoyed the character enough in the first season. Uh, I felt it was an interesting character to bring about. I just don't think they did anything with this character. They didn't make this character likable in this. She's become the man-at-arms. She tells you she's the man-at-arms multiple times throughout this season. Now that she doesn't have a king, she's no longer man-at-arms, well, she is going to run for office because her qualifications, uh, she's the man-at-arms. It's just, it seems kind of silly, and it felt very much like a 
modern idea of okay we're gonna we're gonna bring Eternia into the modern day United States and give them their first female person of color leader not that that's a bad thing and I don't say it like that it's just the way it was forced into this story just felt kind of nonsensical it, it was superfluous it wasn't needed this character was created i think to be something different they abandoned that idea and now they don't know what to do with this character which is a shame because tiffany smith i think does a really good job voicing this character i just wish they could have found something a little more interesting to do with this character other than making it a little bit of an annoying character now, what I would have liked to have seen, as opposed to this whole democracy and suspectly qualified candidate uh, throwing her hat in the ring, I would have liked to have seen, like I said earlier, the story play out where Adam is told he has to be king and champion and the seeds of doubts of whether he can actually do that being sown and him deciding he can't be king and champion giving the kingship over to Keldor finding out he was wrong that Keldor is Skeletor I, I like that and realizing that he can be or, or could be king and champion at the same time but then at the very end choosing uh, not to be king uh, I would like to have seen that. I mean, uh, the reasoning. You, I mean, you have to work on that with the with the scripts and and workshop that. But uh, I would like to have seen him not be king. What is the next best thing to not having Skeletor or He Man as King of Eternia? Well, you've got a queen. You've got Queen Marlena, who is sitting there, voiced by a fantastic actress in Gates McFadden, uh, an actress that, like a lot of these voice actors, that has some gravitas, these veteran actors that has some gravitas to, to their voice and their performance, uh, make her the queen of Eternia. You tackle a couple issues with one stone. You're having the first female leader of Eternia. You know, you've got a female character a, in a place of power within this very patriarchal society and i don't say patriarchal in a bad way it's always been a king of eternia and he-man is the main hero but but then you have queen marlena stepping in and ruling eternia until prince adam is ready to hang up the he-man mantle or or they find some other way i don't know how the story plays out long term but I think for right now, it's an interesting way to do this without adding the, you know, the stupid democracy angle and trying to bring Eternia into modern day American sensibilities. To me, that would have been a more interesting and a more realistic look at how how this probably would have played out is to to have a queen of Eternia as opposed to a king of Eternia. Uh, another thing I, I liked to a degree but I didn't like was the Evil Inn redemption arc. I hate this notion in modern fantasy and horror and science fiction cinema, I guess maybe in all of cinema and television, the idea that there are no bad guys everybody's just misunderstood just everybody is you know every bad guy is a good guy that just made the wrong choices or a, a good guy that was just picked on or bullied a little too much and you know sometimes people are just fucking bad and i i, I hated the notion that 
it felt like the Evil Lynn redemption arc felt so forced. I liked the idea that Evil Lynn is this complex character who has been manipulated by Skeletor and, you know, she she can do good things from time to time, but they may be for her own purposes. I, I like her being a complicated character and not just how they ended up calling, you're no longer Evil Lynn, you're Good Lynn. I'm just like, are you are you fucking kidding me? Seriously? You said that. You literally said that out loud. Because Lena Headey uh, does a wonderful job with this character. And as we know from her playing Cersei, she knows how to play complex characters like this. And I just felt like they were like, uh, you know, her name's Eva Lynn, but she's a strong female character. So we got to turn her into a good guy because of modern sensibilities. I guess it depends on where it goes from here. Her joining the Eternia version of the Green Lantern Corps with Zodak. Uh, I, I don't know where that's going to go. I'll be interested to see if the redemption arc continues or if we see her backslide. I don't know. And another thing I, I really didn't care for is the fact that they had all of these background characters that never said a single word. You had all of these characters that you were introduced to in the first season of Masters of the Universe, Revelation, where we got a scene with practically every toy in the line, every character in the lineup of Masters of the Universe toys. And they all had really cool voice actors playing them, very good voice actors playing them, very recognizable voice actors playing them. And in this, you, you saw them all. Uh, you saw Ram Man several times, but I don't think you ever heard him speak once. You had a couple that had voice parts, but not many. And that was a little disappointing. That is, again, another thing where I thought they could have used at least one or two more episodes to make some of these other characters be integral parts of the story, not just showing up for the battle sequence or showing up at the last second to be a part of the gang to take on whoever. I... That just felt like, okay, now you're just throwing them in there just to say, oh, hey, there's that guy from, from that story. There's that guy. I had that action figure. There was just no reason or agency for having like 90% of the other characters from the He-Man stories and the He-Man toy lines in any of these scenes. So as I said earlier, this is a very good rebound from Masters of the Universe Revelation. Masters of the Universe Revolution fixed a lot of the things that were wrong with Revelation. Didn't fix everything. And as I said, this wasn't a perfect season or a perfect story. It did have its faults, but it was very good in in comparison to the last season. And I hope it gets better. You know, I think they really did take a look at a lot of the a lot of things fans were saying about that first season, about Revelation, and they took it to heart. And I don't think it was Kevin Smith. I think Kevin Smith is the kind of filmmaker that he's going to stick with what he wants to do uh, because that's what he wants to do and that's how he's going to do it. I've never seen him as a very compromising film director. Uh, he's a director with a vision. Uh, now, granted, he's not directing these, but this is kind of his creation, this series. But I can see Mattel saying, hey, we're trying to make a universe with Masters of the Universe, and you're cocking it up, so you better fix it. <laughs> That's how I see it going down. I could be totally wrong on that. That's just 
based on supposition on my part. But I I can see them coming to Kevin Smith and saying, hey, listen, you got to write this ship and you got to do it fast because we've got movies and we've got TV series that we've already put on hold because the last season you did was a turd, a very well-crafted turd, but a turd nonetheless. And they want to do things. They want to do another season of this. Uh, there was talk of a live action he-man series on on netflix or not a series but a live action he-man movie on netflix that has kind of been i don't know if it's been completely ruled out or if it's just been put on the back burner i know they've wanted to do a she-ra series on amazon prime the people at filmation dreamworks i know that has nothing to do with mattel but you know everybody's wanting to to build this ip back up and I, i think it needs to be built up i think you know, you have an opportunity. Fantasy is such an, as far as like uh, wizards and warriors type fantasy, it's such an underutilized genre in TV and film right now. Everybody wants to make Lord of the Rings. Nobody's wanting to make Conan the Barbarian. And, and I think it's such a great vehicle for storytelling. I think you could do a lot of really cool and interesting things. And I think if you did a He-Man movie that kind of was... In the same vein tonally as like Conan the Barbarian. Something darker. Not necessarily campy and made for the kids like the TV show. Uh, I think if you do something a little dark, it doesn't have to be rated R or anything like that. It can be still something that you can take the kids to a PG-13 film and still have it be dark and border on some some blood. You know, you could have a little blood in it. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. And you could do a lot of really cool stuff with this. But nobody's going to spend the money on that if your most recent attempts at reviving this franchise bombs and bombs horribly. So I think they had to do something about it. I think Mattel and or Kevin Smith did something about it. Did they do enough to bring back the fans? I don't know. That remains to be seen. I, I think there's a lot of fans out there that really hated Revelation and have given up on the series already. And I think that's a mistake. I, I get it. You didn't like it, but don't be such a big baby about it that you're not going to give another season another chance because, you know, a lot of TV series and film series didn't do as well as they thought they were doing the first one, and they've made the adjustments to, to make them better in the second and the third. You know, you have to you have to be willing to at least give them another chance, and I think if you give... The Masters of the Universe Netflix series, another chance. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised because, like I said, it's not a great series yet, but they're making strides to make it great. And I got to respect that. And if the next season comes out and is even better than this season, great. If not, then, hey, you know, it's lesson learned and you know nobody will come back to it. But I think this season is, is done well enough and it had a good enough story that it's worth giving this a watch. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Masters of the Universe Revolution. Uh, not much revolution in this. Uh, the revolution reference at the very end, <laughs> kind of towards the end, it was essentially Skeletor revolting against Hordak. Didn't make any sense, but I don't care because I enjoyed the story well enough. I enjoyed all the things that they did right. 
and all the things they didn't do right weren't bad enough to keep me away from this and weren't bad enough to keep me from really enjoying this. Uh, enjoying it a lot more than I did the Revelation series that came out in 2021. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Masters of the Universe Revolution. You can check out more School of Thoughts, Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Always talking about the latest episodes that we have coming up. On Thursday, we're going to talk about Volume 2 of the creep show comic book series that came out uh, it started back in september the last issue came out on january the 20th i know there's a bonus issue coming out in february but that'll get its own show so uh we're going to talk about volume two of creep show the comic that's coming up on thursday's show and of course you can stay on top of all the horror fantasy and science fiction on our social media pages and don't forget to wherever you listen to this podcast like follow subscribe to it please leave those reviews five stars would be awesome whatever review you leave we appreciate that and most importantly share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction so until next time Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!